last week, as I said, uh, the, one of the scriptures was the Lord saying, what do you want me to do for you? And Bob was wanting to share a little testimony or story. Evelyn was meant to share it, but she's too shy and too scared. But, uh, <laughs> bless you. We've lived in our here in the same house for 45 years. Well, we were living in the house for 45 years. Um, and when we originally bought the house, um, I wasn't a Christian. My wife was. And she uh, found a house, and she said that was the house God was going to provide for us. And I laughed at her. Um, and when we sold our other house, the same day this other house got sold before we could move there, and so I said, so where's your God in this uh, house thing? Me and an estate agent will find a house. Don't you worry. So I and the estate agent found the house, but not little to know that it was God's plan because that's where I came to know the Lord. And we put the house on the market five years ago, um, and it didn't sell. And people were saying to us, uh, where are you going to? And we kept saying, we don't know. Um, God's got a plan. We just have to wait until we sell the house. December, after five years, someone signed for the house, subject to a bond. Um, and so people kept saying, where are you going? We said, well, we don't know, because God's got to get the bond first. And because of the holidays, the bond only came through in January. And then Evelyn went to the Lord, and she said, Lord, where are we going? I, I need to know, because I don't know where I'm going. That same morning, her sister spoke to a friend and said, is there no units to rent in your complex? And the friend said, no, but my husband knows someone who's got a, a flat to rent that he's not advertising at the moment. As I got home, she said, come, we're going to look at this house. We went to Kloof, we walked into a little two-bedroom cottage, aircon, garage, carport, fans. We both looked at each other and said, yes. So God answered her prayer, her question the same day. We're still trying to move in. <laughs> okay, I just wanted this recorded because it was recorded last week. Um, I told a story of my dad going into a home and, um, and he was moving in tomorrow, last week. So, so many of you have sent me messages and, um, and asked how things are going. So, I just want to put this feedback out there. So, we moved Dad into the home um, on Monday. And when it was time for my sister and Alan to leave, he wanted to know where they were going. And, of course, he... He, he does not know where he is, and we were told that we must not come anywhere close until Saturday, which was yesterday. So this whole week has felt like we're mourning a death before a death. Can you relate with that? Because he's no longer at home. And I've watched my mom in a place of mourning, but also in a place of blossoming and flourishing at the same time and feeling guilty for that because he consumed her and he took up the whole of her. And by the way, when he moved into the home, he moved straight into the frail care unit. So my 80-year-old mom 
was caring for a frail care patient, effectively. So um, we went to see him yesterday. They've put us on a WhatsApp family group, and they communicate with us every day. This is how your dad is. He's watching TV. He's fine. He's, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's doing well. He's happy. He's fine. He's eating. He's fine. So we went yesterday expecting to see fine, and we saw a very clean man, clean, short hair, short nails, shaved, looking pretty swish in his clothes and very content, but so deteriorated um, and, and more lost than ever before. He's had a lostness about him for um, a while, years, but he is now like, how far do you have to go before you go? You know? So, sorry, I didn't think that would happen. I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for loving us. And um, we're praying that Jesus would take him. Um, he's, he's just consumed with tissues. He likes to fold tissues and then unfold them and then tuck them in his pants and have them coming out perfectly just there on his belly button. Then he takes them out and he goes through the process again very, very meticulously. His life is consumed around tissue paper. And mom is there next to him on the couch, loving him, kissing him, and he's just there with his tissue paper. It's hard to see. It's hard to watch. But he is in such good hands, and we're grateful for your prayers and your support. Thank you. Yeah, it's gone, this week has gone far better than we could have anticipated. And we do know it is because of the grace of God and, and your prayers. It's just, uh, you know, these are hard seasons and, and, and difficult ones. But the, the Lord is with us in it all. So thank you for your prayers. So uh, I can't remember, I'm not great at details. I have a friend, Dave Cato, if I want to know any details of my life, I just phone him up and he will tell me what happened on, uh, he was my best man at the, at the wedding and he would tell me all the details, the time, what happened, when, what, what I was even wearing and that kind of thing. He was just a detailed person. But I, I, if you tell me something, I've probably forgotten it by, by next week. So you can tell me your deepest, darkest secrets because it's... <laughs> I, will forget, I will forget, but um, sometime, sometime uh, last year, towards the end of last year, uh, with lockdown, and we're nearly a year now, hey, when is it a year? Next 27th, so it's, yeah. Um, who would have believed? A year later, we're still in lockdown. And uh, so I was, and I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this year. In many respects, I've had some, it's been really some good things. I've managed to connect with the Lord and the scriptures better than ever before. Uh, I've managed to uh, phone a few people and get alongside people. And, and, and the fraternal was one of the, uh, one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart to phone people in the fraternal, to phone the, the, the leaders of our churches and just to encourage them and give them a scripture and pray with them. And one of the uh, people I did that with is it was Brian and Brian and Caitlin Barnes are with us from um, uh, West, West Point I'll get that right uh, and it's wonderful to have you with us this morning 
But in the process, I thought, uh, he, Brian and Caitlin planted a church in Kloof with Hendon Vienand uh, about four years ago. And uh, they were in the Kloof Junior Primary. And uh, it's been a journey. It's been an amazing journey. And to see what they've built is absolutely fantastic. And it's wonderful to have Greg and Des also uh, part of their leadership team. Uh, so it's lovely to have you with us this morning as well. But uh, the, it's been a journey. And I, and I suddenly realized that at this stage they were meeting at St. Mary's. And, and schools are, are very uh, loath to let outsiders come in and, and meet. So I looked at the fraternal and I thought, well, this would be the community that would need it probably the most, a, a venue. And so I phoned him up and said, Brian, what about this idea? We have our venue in the, in the evening, 4.30. Uh, you can come and use it and your church can start to meet again. And it's been, uh, so they have done that. And then there's been another lockdown and it's been, it's been difficult, but they back up and, and meeting. And it's such a joy and a privilege to uh, have this facility used. It was always when the, it was originally built, it was called an equipping center. An equipping center that's only used for a few hours a week is, is not uh, uh, used well. And so it's just a joy that we have you here because you bring the presence of God with you and in you. And uh, this, this place is becoming a, a real house of prayer in the and, and the community is using it. We have a, a, a school, an adult literacy, literacy school that's using it in the, in the evenings. I think from about five to, five to six in the evenings, there's a literacy school happening. So that's fantastic. Fantastic what the Lord is doing in this place. But it's, uh, uh, we've invited Brian uh, to share uh, the scriptures. And we're still on a theme of prayer, so... He's going to open that up for us again from a different angle, a different perspective, I'm sure. Uh, but Brian and Caitlin, before, uh, Caitlin is the chaplain at St. Mary's. So she wears like about 17 hats. Not only is she the chaplain there, she co-leads the church, West Point, with, uh, with Brian. Not only that is she has, uh, two, they have two little boys uh, not only that, is she's doing her, is it honors or masters in theology? Masters. Honors. Honors in theology. Brian's also just started trying to keep up with his wife. But I think you've lost that, you've lost that years ago. Don't bother even trying. Just uh, go with the flow. But uh, in all that they are, first and foremost, before that, I see in them that firstly, they are lovers of Jesus and that they are followers of Jesus. And uh, when we love Jesus and we follow Jesus, all the other things slot into place. And that's our first calling. And so I see that in their, in their lives and in their hearts and the way they bring up their children. And I've, I've preached a few times uh, last year, I think it was at at, um, at West Point. Uh, so I've seen them in operation. So it's a great joy to have you. Let's give them a, a warm welcome. Let's give them a clap and let's pray for Brian. 
Lord, we thank you. I thank you for Brian, a co-worker in the gospel, a lover of Jesus. And I ask Holy Spirit that today you would fill him to overflowing, that the words he speaks will be your words. We thank you for the treasure which is in this earthen vessel, a wonderful earthen vessel. And we ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would uh, see Jesus in Brian, in the words that he speaks. And these words would be life-changing. We're not care to crit him out of ten and say, oh, he was ten out of ten or eight out of ten. Or, or, or you know, I think he'll be in that, in that level, but uh, no pressure. Uh, but we, we come to hear God. We've come to worship him. We've come to hear him. And so I bless you, Brian. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good morning. Oh, it's such a joy to be with you this morning. I want to start off by just saying thank you. I cannot thank you as a community enough for what you have done specifically for our church, for myself and Caitlin and our leadership team. Uh, As Alan shared, we had this wonderful privilege. We have this wonderful privilege of being able to come into this space and, and it's a beautiful space, not because of the physical structure, although that is beautiful, but it's a beautiful space because you come here, and with you, you bring the presence of God, and then we are recipients of being able to meet in this place. And so on behalf of myself and Caitlin and Des and Greg and our leadership team and West Point Church as a whole, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our church would not be meeting right now. That's the bottom line. And so because of you and because of your generosity and because of your uh, establishing of God's kingdom here in the Upper Highway area, our church, our people, his people get to meet. Later on today, we'll come into this space and we'll meet together and we'll worship and we'll pray and we'll sit under the preaching of the word and our children will go to children's church. We have so many children in our church, it's a bit crazy, but they'll go upstairs and they'll use both downstairs rooms here and we'll have moms in that area there. And that's because of you. And so many of you have been part of this church for many, many years. This year you celebrated 50 years. And for some of you, you've been part of this journey from day one or four decades. And this facility has been built on your prayers and your commitment and your story and your finances. And I'm sure when you came together to build this building, uh, for many of you who are part of that story, you didn't anticipate necessarily like it being a home for two churches. And for literacy classes. But actually, isn't it amazing what God does when the people come together in faith, put down roots, and then his kingdom starts to build? And so thank you for pioneering. Thank you for doing 50 years so that a young church plant like us has faith to go after four. Uh, you guys are amazing, and I just want to say thank you. Um, I want to just honor quickly my friends Des and Greg. We have uh, for 10 years done church together, which is actually crazy when you think about that. And uh, they have been part of two church plants with Caitlin and I, and we've been part of a church merge in Westfall. And so essentially we've done three churches together, and so they're here with us this morning. Get to know them. They're great. And I'm sure you, over the months and years ahead, am I right, yeah? I think this thing is, let me do this. Um, thanks for being here and supporting me and Caitlin the whole way through. So we won you into COVID, and, uh, and for every church and every pastor everywhere, it has been a wonderful year, but it's also been, 
in many regards, it has also been a crazy, really difficult year of saying, what do we do now? And we've been pivoting and trying to make a plan and praying and putting church online. And I don't know how many of you have ever preached in front of a camera, but let me tell you, that is a whole new skill that you need to learn. And the amount, I was preaching in my lounge and I had uh, the amount of times, honestly, I'm just so grateful for editing because I really did not want the church to see some of my reactions to the mistakes I made or the children walking into the lounge or the dog walking in and hitting the camera over while I was preaching. But you have amazing pastors. And um, I've had the privilege of getting to know Alan and Milan over the last couple of years and particularly over the last few months. And uh, they are very special people. And uh, you are very lucky to have them as your pastors. I wish that they were my, they're actually becoming kind of my pastors in some regard. And uh, I think that actually we all need to, I know you appreciate them, I know you love them, but sometimes the work of a pastor is really hard and you don't know what you're doing half the time, but you're just praying and trying your best all of the time, right now. But I want to ask you two to stay seated. And I want to ask the rest of us to show them love and appreciation and gratitude for what they have been doing, not only for the last year, but for the many years. I mean, Milan, you've been in this church for 35 years, longer, 42 years. You have special, amazing people here. And this is an opportunity, I think, where we all can stand and give them a big round of applause of appreciation and gratitude. So if you join me in that. Thank you, guys. Thank you for everything you do for our community. Okay, so I'm going to speak on prayer this morning. And I'm really excited because prayer is a pillar upon which we desire to build our lives. My wife um, is here. Ellen has told you all about her, well, bits and pieces. There's so much more to this amazing woman. But we uh, build our lives around this idea of this practice, this beautiful privilege of prayer. And there's many aspects to prayer, as I know you know, and you've been going through this over the last few months with Alan teaching, and you've had, um, uh, who was it? Alexander Fenter, who I actually met this past week, who's amazing teaching on prayer. And there's different types of prayer. There's listening prayer. There's, there's uh, petitioning. There's interceding. There's just enjoying God's presence. There's many aspects and avenues of prayer. But this morning, I want to speak on the going on, asking, seeking, continuing. And there's a slide here, persistence in prayer. And in my preparation for my message this morning, I came across a quote by the name, a guy by the name of Andrew Murray. He says this. He says, The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. Friends, prayer works. Prayer works. Our prayers matter. And I, when, I, when I read that quote, something stirred inside of me, and I thought, what if God would use Sarepta Church? What if God would use you for that? What if God would use us to mobilize the church to pray? Not strategy, not clever ideas, but prayer, and we will see a move of God in our time. I believe God wants to do something really special in this community, in our church at West Point, in your church, we have one church, in our churches regarding prayer, something greater than he's done up until this point. Do you know that every single major season of awakening in Christianity 
whether it's in a church or a college campus or in a workplace, study revival in history. Every single one is characterized and preceded by intense, persistent, corporate prayer. Every single one. Every single time a move of God breaks out into a community, it's always preceded by corporate prayer. Samuel Chadwick has this to say, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is nothing. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. I believe that God has more for us. More for our churches, more for our families, more for you, more for me, more for our communities. And I'm not just saying that for hope. I really do believe it. I believe God has more for us. And I believe that none of it will come apart from prayer. So let me ask you, because a church is made up of individuals, disciples who love and follow Jesus, let me ask each one of us to just answer this question in our hearts. What is your personal prayer life like? What's your personal prayer life like? D.A. Carson says that if you want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask them to tell you about his or her private prayer life. That's the one thing most Christians are woefully deficient in. Carson cites a survey that was taken by a prominent evangelical seminary among college training students who were going to be going into the pastorate and to missionaries. And the study showed that only 6% of these people in college could testify to regular quiet times, meaning times of uh, you know, reading the scriptures and devoting themselves to prayer. 6%! These are the future pastors and missionaries going to be sent out to do the work of the kingdom. 6% of the Christian elites, so to speak. We know that's not true. Carson goes on to say, it would be painful and embarrassing to uncover the prayer life of even a lot of our pastors, much less our people, and we wonder why the modern church operates with so little power. And so, Sarepta Church, what if God has so much more for us? More for our schools, more for our community, more for our families, more for our health, more for our nation, more for you, more for me? But we never got any of it simply because we did not really know how to ask. Now, for some of us, if we're actually honest, prayer is something that we're kind of skeptical about. It can be a little bit confusing. We, we wonder how it works a lot of the time. Sometimes things we pray for happen. Sometimes things we don't pray for happen. Sometimes the things we forget to pray for, those happen. And sometimes other stuff happens and we just don't know how this whole thing really works. Well, I think Holy Spirit has something really important for us in the book of Acts in chapter 12, which gives us kind of a snapshot into the life of the early church. Now, I love the book of Acts. Acts has 28 chapters. But if you read the book of Acts, it kind of, there's this big explosion, this excitement, this whole narrative of the early church, and then there's kind of no real ending to the book of Acts. And I believe that that's intentional. 
Because me and you, we are still, Sarepta, West Point, the church in the Upper Highway area, we are still living in the book of Acts. You see, the story of the book of Acts is not one separate to our own. Actually, we are in the story of the book of Acts. We are the church. And when we look at the life of the early church, this is actually our story too. And we should, in many regards, be picking up the baton and then running hard and then handing it over to the next generation. And so I want to start our teaching this morning quickly jumping back to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, because what we know from Scripture is that the Pastor Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And originally they were both one volume. And Luke was kind of part one of his accounts and then Acts was kind of part two. And in Luke what we see is the divine hand of God in the person and work of Jesus. And then in Acts what we see is a continuation of that in the invisible hand of God, the Holy Spirit, who comes and fills his church. And so teaching presented by Jesus in Luke is now experienced and applied by the church in the book of Acts. Meaning that teaching that is presented by Jesus in the Gospels should not only be experienced by you and me today in our churches, but it should be applied by us as well. See, what Jesus teaches about prayer in Luke, what we're going to see is going to be applied by Acts in chapter 12. Okay, you with me? Okay, so Luke chapter 11. At this point, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they ask him one question. Lord, teach us to pray. They had noticed that in all of his preaching, all of his miracles, that prayer seemed to be the source of his power. And so they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles, or Lord, teach us how to write a killer sermon, or Lord, I would be awesome if I could just walk on water. Teach me that. No, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because prayer was the key to the power behind the preaching and the miracles and the work of Jesus. And while in response to their request, Jesus teaches them what we know to be the Lord's Prayer, this kind of model prayer for us. And then he tells them a rather odd story, you can read it up, of a man who comes in the middle of the night with an odd request and this man keeps on asking. And then Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 11, he says this, So I say to you, it should come on the screen, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And there's three verbs there. Ask, seek, knock. And it reinforces this teaching that I want to bring to us today on persistence in prayer. You see, they all form part of an original Greek word that, uh, uh, that implies continuous action. It wasn't enough for them to just ask once. That to keep on asking, that to keep on coming before God, that to keep on coming on their knees and crying out to Him. It was ask, seek, continue, keep going, don't give up. That's how prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit actually works. It's not an asking of a once-off kind of, I prayed once many years ago and I've got Him. That's true. But there's also this, this, this practice of continually asking, continually submitting, continually coming before the Father, getting on our knees and crying out for Him. So we have to ask repeatedly. Let's fast forward now to Acts chapter 12. And at this point, what's happened is Jesus has walked with His disciples. He's died on a cross. He's gone into a grave. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and He sent the Holy Spirit to come and empower the church. And the church kicks off. And there's this institution, the church, empowered by the Spirit. When men and women who don't know Jesus are getting introduced to Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church is growing. And it's this beautiful community being shaped and formed. And then the church starts to find itself getting persecuted. 
And their leader, Peter, he gets thrown into jail. And that's where we find ourselves now in this part of the story. So Acts chapter 12, you can jump to verse 6. And we're going to read this big chunk. Uh, It's beautiful to come into God's word. And we read this in Acts chapter 6. Peter's in prison. Chapter 12, verse 6, pardon me. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. While the sentries were in front of the door, guarding or guarded the prison. So he's in jail. There's these two big shot like Roman dudes, soldiers. They, they, he's not going anywhere. He's bound by two chains. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. The chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him. And he put on his sandals. Um, And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that that what the angel did was really happening. He kind of thought he was dreaming, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed through the second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grip and from all that the Jewish people expected. They expected him to die the next day. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were assembled and were praying. So the church was persecuted. Their leaders in prison, what does the church do? They pray. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and the servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, did not open the gate and ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. Imagine Peter. He's just come out of jail. He's passed two sets of guards. An iron gate is open. There's an angel. The angel's gone. He goes to his friend's house, knocks on the door. The person, it's Peter, she runs away. He's left at the gate kind of twiddling his thumbs, thinking like, let me in. I need to get out of the street. She ran inside, told the others, you're out of your mind, they told her. And she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his ghost or his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James. He doesn't know this, but James is dead at this point. And the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is some important things about prayer. First up, the church has been persecuted. Their lives were in turmoil. They did not know what to do. They were uncertain about the future. Point number one, if you're taking notes, whatever they were afraid of, they talked to God about it. We are in a time of global crisis. Many of us are going through so many emotions right now. Many of us are going through really difficult circumstances in our own life, whether it be financially, relationally, the uncertainty and the pain, maybe the loneliness of lockdown. What is it for you? Social distancing, the fear of illness, and maybe some of you have lost a loved one during this time. Whatever they were afraid of, they talked to God about it. How beautiful that we serve a God who we are able to come and talk to Him about it. Point number two, they used prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie and not 
a domestic intercom. What's the difference? A wartime walkie-talkie, we pick it up, we're in war, we're in a battle, we realize that there is a fight, we need reinforcements, and so we call out, mayday, mayday, come in, send reinforcements, send an escort, send whatever. A domestic intercom, ding-dong. Hi, it's Brian at the gates, can you let me in? They used prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. John Piper says, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. And this prayer, this is active, petitionary prayer. They had no hope. Their leader was in prison. Their other leader was dead. They're stuck in Mary's house. They don't know what's going to happen. Christians are getting killed and martyred and persecuted left, right, and center. They don't know what to do. They pick up their wartime walkie-talkie. They get on their knees. They gather corporately, and they pray. And this prayer is marked by Boldly praying for things in this world that are not right. Rebellion against the status quo. That's our call. They knew it was not God's will for the church uh, to be persecuted. They knew it was God's will for the, for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. Uh, uh, regardless of what King Herod, who is the guy persecuting the Christians, wanted. Now they weren't sure how this was going to happen. They weren't sure if Peter was going to make it out of jail. In fact, many of them probably thought that he was already dead. But they knew that God's purpose was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. They knew they had a mission. And so they get on their knees and they say, Lord, you have to make this happen. We need reinforcements. Come in. You know, every once in a while you hear people say something that seems really spiritual. And it's this. It's that prayer doesn't change the situation. It just changes my heart. And while I believe there is definitely some truth in that, because when we pray, we, we come before God and we connect with Him. And, and in that connecting with the Father, our hearts are shaped and formed and made new. And our heart of stone gets transformed into a heart of flesh. And our will becomes more in line with God's will. So most certainly, when we pray, our hearts are changed. Absolutely. But prayer also moves the hand that moves the world. We cannot think... That prayer is just this domestic intercom for us to have a pleasant time with God, although there is an aspect of that. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. We look at this cross. What do you notice about that cross? Well, Jesus is not on that cross. He suffered on that cross. And he went into a grave, but he rose again. And when he rose again, hope and life and freedom and intimacy with the Father rose again. And then he ascended into heaven and then he sent us his Holy Spirit. And right now when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are now coming, uh, being in, our prayers are now empowered by the very same power that Jesus operated with. And then our prayers have power and they go towards Jesus. And then Jesus takes our prayers. He is interceding on our behalf. So the very Savior of the world is taking our prayers to God and then God is using those prayers to do stuff with. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. John Wesley, he says, I'm convinced God does nothing except through answered prayer. Prayer is where we pour out our heart of worry and pain and stress towards the Father. Prayer is where we boldly pray His kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. So what is, 
What is your prayer life like? How do you pray? What are your prayers like? They were persistent in their prayers. Point number three. They knew it was God's will for the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Right now they had a real problem. One of their main leaders was in jail, as I've said. The other was killed. Uh, They're not sure if Peter's going to make it out. They kind of at peace if he dies because they know God's mission is bigger than any one individual. But they know that it's not God's will for Satan to destroy the church or even impede the progress of his church. And so they get on their knees and they say, God, you've got to make something happen. And they just kept at it. They wouldn't give up. I know there are times when God redirects us into praying for different things. Like we pray for something, we trust in it, we trust in him for it. And then God's will is different and he reveals that to us and, and we are basically instructed or, or told to move on and, and to actually pray for something else. But in general, I think that we as Christians give up way too early. We need to learn from this. Whether it be praying for healing or praying for a move of God in our community or praying for a loved one who's far from Jesus, I just think sometimes we give up way too early. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor and theologian, says, some fruits you just have to keep shaking until it comes down. Sometimes we've just got to keep asking. I also want us to take note that this is specifically about the power of Holy Spirit coming and moving in our midst. It's not about a once-off request. It's about a submission daily, repeatedly asking for power from on high. Well, how does the story end in Acts chapter 12? It ends with a whole bunch of twists. Peter, who is Herod's prize prisoner, he walks right out of jail, right under Herod's nose. The gates open, two bunches of Roman guards are there. He just walks right out. I want you to see this. This is like so important. In Acts chapter 12, it starts off like this. Peter is in jail. James, one of the other leaders, is dead. And Herod is on the throne. He hates Christians. Peter's in jail. James is dead. Herod's on the throne. What's the response of the church? The church prays. Acts chapter 12 ends. Peter is free. Herod is dead. And the word of God is on the throne. Acts chapter 12 starts. Peter is in jail. James is dead. Herod's on the throne. The church prays. Peter is set free. Herod is dead. The word of God is on the throne. What's the moral of the story? Don't mess with a church that is on his knees. Every single time the church really prays in the book of Acts, things explode. God's hand moves. Every single time. Let me give you some examples here. In Acts chapter 1, they pray in the upper room for 10 straight days. 10 days. I don't know how many of you have prayed for 10 straight days. I haven't. Ten straight days. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. We, 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 want to move, we say we want to move of God. They pray for ten straight days. Holy Spirit comes. Thousands get saved. After chapter 4, they pray and God fills them with such boldness that they turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. By the end of Acts chapter 5, the church of Jerusalem is over 10,000 people big and some of the harshest critics towards Christianity, like the Jewish priests, eventually Paul himself, they get saved. Here in Acts chapter 12, they pray, God blows up a prison and strikes down Herod, who's persecuting Christians. In Acts chapter 13, they pray, God raises up Paul, who's the church's biggest enemy, and he becomes the greatest missionary the world has ever known. 
all of these things and more happen in response to prayer. So what is it? What is it that God wants to do in our churches, in our community, in our lives, in your life, in our nation, that will only come about by faithful, committed, persistent prayer? What is it? And will we, as the church, answer the call? I'm going to invite Milan to come up. And uh, I want to, I believe in preparation for this morning, that God wants us to be a community. You know, church, church is not an event we attend. It is a community to which we belong. And we all play a part. I know you know this. But actually, I believe that we want to action what we're looking at today that we want to action ourselves praying. I believe that there are some things, whether it's in our own personal life or in the church's story at large, that we have given up on way too early. And I believe that God wants us to pick up that baton again today and pray out and cry out and ask again and trust and believe again for a move of God in our time. Amen? So I'm going to invite you now to pray. We're going to get into little groups, little huddles, and uh, COVID is real, and we all have different emotions around that. And I'm going to ask that we all respect the boundaries and the precautions that need to take place with regards to COVID, and our masks are on. But we're going to come into groups of four or five spread across this auditorium. And I'm going to invite you now, I'm going to ask Milan to play, and we are going to cry out to God for a move of His Spirit in our community, in our time. Uh, as I look at the story of Sarepta Church, and you've just celebrated 50 years, I, I, I have not been intricately involved by any means in that. But when I look at Sarepta Church, I see a praying people. And I see a people who are trusting for a move of God. I see a people who are not content to just sit back and attend church and have a nice cup of coffee and, and do stuff together, Christian activity. I see a people on mission. I see a people who are going to pick up their wartime walkie-talkie and call for reinforcements to see a move of God play out in our time. I see that we're not going to be satisfied with less, and we're going to trust for more. And I, I believe that God will do that, and He won't do that apart from prayer. Yeah. I believe that we can see, we planted a church here four years ago, and one of the things that we've been crying out for is revival. One of the things we've been crying out for is a move of God amongst every man, woman, and child in our area to see men and women and children who are far from God come into His loving presence. That's not going to happen if we don't come together and pray. And so I'm going to invite you now, if we can all stand, and there's no pressure to pray, but we're going to take a few moments and get into little huddles, uh, just with those next near you, and, and we're going to pray, and we're going to petition, and we're going to cry out for a move of God in our time. Does that sound okay? Can we do that? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place and we ask that you would give us the boldness and the courage to believe. That you would build faith in our hearts. That you would help us trust and believe for a move of God in our time. Let us picture that in our mind's eye. Picture that in your mind, friends. Picture that in your hearts. What would it look like for a move of God in the upper highway area where men, women, and child are just drawn into the presence of Jesus who confess their sins, turn from their evil ways, 
and turn their eyes upon Jesus. Lord, we pray that our community will turn their eyes upon Jesus and look at His wonderful face. So Holy Spirit, come. Friends, take the next moments to pray in your groups and trust and believe that we can see a move of God in our time. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. We are praying for salvation. We are praying for a move of God in our time. And I think that there is power when we pray specifically directed at individuals. And uh, all of us have men and women in our lives who we are trusting for God to touch their hearts. And so in your groups, maybe you can share who is that person that you're trusting for. And pray for them by name. And ask for the Spirit right of God right now to convict them wherever they are right now, to touch their hearts, to see men and women who are far from Jesus step into His presence and step into His loving arms, His saving grace. And so name those men and women, maybe people you've been praying for for years. Don't give up. Keep trusting, friends. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. As we've been praying this morning, one of the things that Brian didn't emphasize from that preach was that the angels were sent. And so we, what we've done this morning, as you've been praying and naming people's names, we trust and we believe that the angels of God are going to those people and going to set them free and going to say, get dressed, get up. Today is the day of salvation. So believe that continually be persistent in your prayer and the angels are going to do it. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have commissioned us in this wartime in which we live, a wartime, a war zone. You've commissioned us to talk to you, to make our requests known, to ask of you and you will answer. So we thank you. We thank you in advance for answered prayer that has happened here today. We rejoice in you and we say, thank you, Lord. Let's sing. Because without Jesus in my life, in lockdown, work, family life, circumstances, and I've kept my eyes on Jesus in the days when you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, guess what? All falls down. And it was a year ago we went into lockdown and John Elcock preached and that is what's kept me. Thank you, Lord. Wow. So, so cool, Pam. Caitlin. I just want to pray for you, Sarepta Church, if that's okay. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. And I thank you that we've been able to sit in the book of Acts today. And we see that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon your church. There was no limitation. No limitation. Jew and Gentile, young and old, the Spirit was poured out. And in Isaiah 61, we read of the year of the Lord's favor, a year of jubilee. And we live in that year of jubilee because every single one of our debts has been paid in full by Jesus. And we now live under the favor of what he has done. And that we are given the spirit of God who equips us 
to participate in the mission of God, to be part of extending and moving forward the proclamation of the gospel that his rule and reign may stretch to all corners of the earth forever and ever and ever and ever. And I want to thank you, Father, that as Brian shared this morning, we are the story of Acts 2. And I want to thank you that the Spirit was poured out upon all nations, all people. And that the gospel mission of God was moved forward and Sarepta Church was born in South Africa, in this community. I want to thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of people that have gone before us to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to testify to his death, his resurrection, and his rising in glory and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. I want to thank you for a faithful people. Persistence in faithfulness. Persistence in prayer. And I want to ask, Lord, Lord of the harvest, won't you continue to bless and anoint this church for the mission of your kingdom establishment? Won't you continue to anoint this church for the power of the Holy Spirit for your redemptive plans and purposes, both in them and through them, that your name might be glorified and lifted high forever and ever and ever? So, Lord of the harvest, let this church arise. Let us arise, Sarepta Church, arise. Arise into the new day and the new dawn, the new age of spirit empowerment, of persistence in prayer, of testimony to the goodness of God, to his redemptive plans and purposes for you. So, Father, thank you that you go before them. Holy Spirit, thank you that you guide and lead them in all truth. And that you walk them into their God-ordained future. Bless this people. Thank you, Jesus, that you poured yourself out for Sarepta Church. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been poured out for this church. And thank you that it's you, Jesus, who stands before the Father and petitions on their behalf. And that it's not eloquence of words or good works and righteousness, but it's the power of Christ at work in them that is for the glory of God. And to him be the glory, both today, now, and forever. Amen.